Welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're going to talk about the significance of food and restaurants in The Wire. But before we get into that, we just wanted to say thanks so much for being patient with us and waiting an extra week before the next episode. We needed some time to strategize about where we were going to go. But we're ready. And welcome back. We've got some really great episodes coming up for the end of our first season. Um, But let's get into it. Let's talk about restaurants in The Wire. Okay. One of the reasons we wanted to talk about restaurants and food in The Wire is because it seems like there are so many scenes that take place in either restaurants or takeout counters or um, somebody going to get takeout. And so it kind of draw, it asks for a little bit of attention. Definitely. And it, they feel very significant because some of them are so uncomfortable to watch. There's a lot of discomfort with the restaurant scenes and... So I think that's how we should get started, is talking about when do we feel uncomfortable watching somebody in a restaurant, and in The Wire, it's a lot. Definitely, and the one that jumps out to me as the absolute most uncomfortable scene is season four, uh, when the kids go to the restaurant as their reward for building the 3D puzzle. Exactly, so Bunny Colvin takes three of the students to a Ruth Chris Steakhouse, And there's a lot of bravado among the kids leading up to the restaurant. They're excited. And then as soon as they go inside the restaurant, it becomes very uncomfortable as they're sort of navigating this unknown social world. Definitely. Well, we've got a clip of it, so let's listen to that. Colvin, uh, party of four. I'll make sure your table's ready. Colvin, party of four, huh? (laughs) May I take your coat? Sure. You, sir? Oh, no, I'm good. Yeah, me too. Your table's ready. Follow me, please. That's your chair, right? No. Yes, it there. The waitress will be here soon to detail the specials of the day. Enjoy. Thank you. Waitress? Who was that? That's the uh, hostess. Hey, you ain't got to worry, Mrs. C. I ain't going to run up your bill. I'll just get whatever's on special. It ain't no Kmart blue light special, dumbass. Special just mean they cook something different. Well, what about you? Drinking without a straw, ghetto and shit. You don't drink water with a straw. And put that on your lap, fool. You see anybody else up in here looking all Fred Flintstone and shit? <laughs> oh, shh. Oh, shut it down. Other people be looking at us. Hello, my name is Pam. I'd like to tell you about our specials for the day. We have king salmon with sweet corn, chanterelles, and basil aioli, sauteed free-range chicken served with mashed potatoes, fresh Chesapeake Bay blue crab, roasted garlic, shallot cream, and hen of the woods mushrooms, and wood oven roasted quail with grilled cipolline bread salad. Man, I thought y'all had steak. Oh, we do, on the second page of your menus. May I get your drink orders? Yeah, uh, we'll take uh, four coats, please. Right away. Thank you. 
Zenobia, you want to take a picture of the restaurant, right? That's OK. It's late. No, no, it's fine. Come on. Give me the camera. I'm OK. No, give me the camera. OK. Y'all want to be in a picture, right? Yo, Mr. C, can we stop at McDonald's? Fuck wrong with you, boy. Food one right. Don't like fish. Why'd you order it then? Yo, shut the fuck up. Turn it down, man. What? Turn it down, Naaman. Turn it up? All right, you got it. Seriously, get some fries at least. Boy, you're pathetic. Just because you're a girl does not mean I won't fuck you all up. You hear me? <laughs> Nigga, please. You keep talking all that no, shit. No, if you keep talking all that shit. No, I ain't forget shit. What I forget anyway? Yeah, I'm a man. That's definitely one of my most difficult scenes to watch in The Wire. It's awful. And I think the discomfort partly is that we feel on behalf of these kids that sense of humiliation and out of place. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's so heartbreaking when when they're leaving and Bunny Colvin says, do you want to take a picture of the restaurant? And they're like, no, and you can just see that they... And then, of course, they get in the car and they start acting up all over again, and it's just... Um, it feels like this really vicious cycle. Uh, yeah, and it's almost like it undid some of the work that Bunny Colvin had accomplished with the kids. Yeah. Um, because maybe acting out was already their way of feeling more in place in a, in a system that makes them feel out of place. Mm-hmm. The other scene in the restaurant that makes me feel really uncomfortable, and it's almost um, mirrored in a way, I guess, but it's in season one, is when D'Angelo and Darnett go to that really nice restaurant on the harbor. Yeah, that's also an uncomfortable scene. You can tell that D'Angelo doesn't really feel at home in the restaurant. And then there's this awkward moment when he goes to order the chocolate cake off of the cart and is Mm -hmm. told, oh, you know, that's the model or sample or something like that. And it's embarrassing for D'Angelo. Yes, and in that same scene, he's asking Garnett, you know, do you think the people here know what I'm about? And he's kind of wrestling with whether this life in the game is for him or not. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, that scene is a really poignant scene in terms of like, you know, she says, nobody cares about you and your story. You have money. That's all that matters. Yeah. But for D'Angelo, he's very much wrestling with his own story. And then a third restaurant scene that makes us feel overtly uncomfortable, but for a different reason, is also in season four when Dookie and the other kids are in the Korean takeout spot. Mm-hmm. And Yuki orders one of the platters with extra turkey grease. And his friends start laughing. And he says, why are you laughing? And I think it's mm-hmm. Michael says, well, it, you know, it's the alcoholics that get the turkey grease. And Yuki says, my mom gets it. And he says, yeah, they get the turkey grease so they can throw up all that alcohol and start drinking again. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, yeah, it's Naaman that calls him. He says, oh, you're one of those really at-risk kids or whatever. And Michael tells him in a much more sort of compassionate way. Um, but I think in all three of those scenes, the, the main characters that we're feeling for are sort of confronted with their own reality in these restaurants. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. They're definitely confronted with their own reality and they're uncomfortable because of these systems that they're navigating that then they are made much more aware of when they're in these restaurant scenes. 
Now that we've given three examples of when a restaurant scene makes us overtly uncomfortable, I think we can present mine and Bailey's overarching thesis, which is that scenes of restaurants, food, and takeout signify trouble, not just overtly, but sometimes covertly and even as an element of foreshadowing. And to put it sort of in a colloquial way that makes sense for restaurants is these characters are chewed up and spit out by their systems. And we see that when they are consuming, chewing up and spitting out, as it were, food. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's an insignificant restaurant scene throughout the entire series. No, I don't think so either. We've talked about the ones that are very kind of obvious examples of when these characters are confronted with their own realities and their own discomfort in the systems that they navigate. But there are a couple examples where it's maybe a little bit less obvious. So there are two scenes that I think we can talk about in relation to McNulty. Yes. McNulty, and in both of these scenes, he's with women. So the first one is when he thinks he and Elena can get back together. And he, he goes to quite a bit of effort to get Elena to agree to go on this date with him because obviously she's mad at, at that he's a cheater. Um, but then, they're, so they're at this dinner and it's like a lovely harbor restaurant. They seem to always go to these restaurants on the harbor. Yeah. Uh, and they're eating and, and he says, you know, I've changed and I, you know, I don't do these sorts of things anymore. I'm riding the boat now. I'm yeah. Just a- and also in this scene, he's drinking just a glass of white wine. He's not mm-hmm. doing his usual Jameson. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyway, he says like, Alina, I, I want to get back with you and she says how about a, a quick fuck for the road instead and so that I mean that's a difficult enough thing to watch but then in the morning and I think we've talked about this in past episodes she basically kicks him out and says I don't want the kids to know that you were here which then sends him on a whole other binge of drinking and yeah so that restaurant scene it was uncomfortable to watch but the real tragedy of it reveals itself afterwards Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of makes it a little bit different from the other restaurant scenes we discussed before. Yeah, absolutely. The second McNulty scene in a restaurant that is very uncomfortable to watch is when, again, he thinks he's ready to be good and settle down with a woman, and he meets Teresa D'Agostino at the private school function for his kids. Right, and Teresa is beginning to handle the campaign for Tommy Carcetti. Mm -hmm. And she, so McNulty meets her, they have this sort of like, I guess, casual sexual relationship for a bit, but McNulty is the one that pushes for a real date. So she agrees, they go out to dinner, she gets the reservation at a restaurant, and you know, McNulty's quite impressed by how she's able to do this. Uh, And then she asks about who he voted for in the last campaign. Right, and he says that he didn't vote. Yeah, and he gives a very earnest and heartfelt answer as to why he didn't vote, like how these you know, people don't know his experience as this you know, cop and it's not about the everyman. And, and she's like visibly horrified. Yes. And it, it, almost like repulsed. Yeah. And we then see him kind of drop her at the door and she says she's tired and goodnight and goodbye and then she never answers a phone call for him again. That's right. That does go exactly like that. But it's funny, Bailey, that you said that because in my mind, when we were planning to talk about McNulty with Teresa in the restaurant, I was thinking of actually a later scene, which I find more uncomfortable, 
it's after that first date that goes badly and Teresa calls up McNulty several episodes later and McNulty's kind of excited he wants to go out with her at least see what's gonna happen and it seems like oh this is gonna be a, a nice date and then it turns out she just wants to press him for information about what's going on with Hamsterdam and what's going on with um, the police crime statistics because she's trying to help Tommy Carcetti. And yeah, and McNulty's instantly on to her. He's instantly on to her and then he says, I'm, I'm just going to go. Yeah, and she's like, oh, you're just going to leave? And he's like, yeah, yep, I am. Yeah. Uh, and that one is a very uncomfortable scene to watch too. Ultimately, in both of these restaurant scenes for McNulty, by the end of season three, he's kind of in the way that D'Angelo was confronting his own reality in that restaurant scene with Darnett. I think McNulty starts to realize that, you know, being a murder police isn't good for him. Right, and it makes him question if he ever will have that relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. And so that's towards the end of season three. By season four... He has asked to transfer to right. a more beat cop role. And we also see that uh, scene where he thinks he sees Beatty in a, in a car and I think it's him and Bunk like chase her down and they're waving and then it turns out not to be Beatty but then within a couple of minutes he the next scene is him knocking on Beatty's door and saying um, I'd like to meet your kids. Yeah, oh that's such a great, great <laughs> moment. Oh, It makes me so happy for McNulty. Now, I just want to recap what we've talked about so far. So we introduced scenes in restaurants that make us overtly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then moving beyond that to the more subtle discomfort restaurant scenes that indicate moments of change or moments of transition for characters like McNulty. I think now that we've discussed how food or restaurants or takeout act as such signifiers, Going back to rewatch The Wire is what makes it so interesting to watch for those moments that are actually foreshadowing when it comes to food or restaurants or takeout. Mm -hmm. Because when you go back and rewatch it, knowing the significance of some of these key scenes related to eating, you can see those moments um, with a little bit more of a an eye of awareness, I guess. Yeah. Well, and so the first, I think, one of the most significant scenes, particularly around takeout, is Presbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how that goes down is, uh, you know, Presbo is finally back out on the street after his administration duty desk job. You know, he's starting to feel redeemed. He's been really good doing this administrative work. He's kind of becoming this almost celebrated figure in a way because he has cracked the code. Yeah, he's learned so much from Freeman and Freeman starts to regard him with some respect and everyone else is taking him a little bit more seriously. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be going really well for Presbo until he goes out for Chinese food. Unfortunately, that's when he shoots another cop. Yep, he shoots another cop. And kills him, him, um, thinking that he's just involved in some street dispute and it's a matter of self-defense. And all because he and McNulty went out to go pick up some Chinese food and happened to hear a call on the radio. Yeah. Um, And then after that, Presbo's police career is finished. He leaves the force completely. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he wasn't even really asked to, but he, through this, I think he realizes again that 
policing is is not for him. Right. And I mean, talk about confronting your own reality. I think that was his real moment of clarity of, okay, I'm I'm not a cop. Like, yeah. He's just... And it's really sad. I mean, there's all these sort of racial implications because the cop that he shoots is black. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, Freeman, one of the most respected detectives, Daniels has to ask him, do you think it was racially motivated? And, you know, it's just... It's really a, a heartbreaking moment for Presbo. Yeah, and as sad and horrible as all of that is to watch, the good news is that Presbo finds redemption later on, becoming a teacher. So, yeah. But I think within the context of what we're talking about today, that going out to pick up takeout Chinese food is foreshadowing to that huge moment of transition for Presbolewski and this huge moment of personal tragedy. Another major moment with uh, going over takeout is, of course, the first stick-up by Omar. So Dee goes out to get a sandwich, and I think it's Lake Trout that they, he goes out to get, and he leaves his crew, and next thing you know, Omar and his boys come and stick them up and rob the stash house. Yep, and shoot one of the boys who's on guard, and then Bay loses it on D'Angelo and says, well, where were you? You were out at the sandwich shop when yeah. all this was going down. Yeah. I and think then, yeah, I, I think it's Weebae says, like, you can't even tell me what he looks like. Yeah. Meaning Omar. Exactly. And luckily, I mean, luckily Bodhi was somewhat onto it. But that was one of, that's one of the first moments where uh, Bubbles, being the snitch, is able to get that tip over to Kima and McNulty and, and tip them off that Omar is beefing with, the Barksdale crew. Which is another moment of huge transition because then McNulty's able to leverage that relationship with Omar. Exactly. Well, and then what eventually for Omar, what that what that stick up becomes is the loss of, of his boy Brandon. Yeah, which precipitates much of what we see happen in season two with testifying against... Yeah. Or is, sorry, is that season one? Yeah, season one. Sorry, season one, testifying, um, which ends with D'Angelo going to jail and again all because he decided to go out for a sandwich at this one key moment. Exactly. One of the other really key restaurant scenes for me is when D'Angelo tells Weebay and the crew at the sandwich shop uh, or the leg trout shop about um, Orlando wanting to go in on a package with him and he basically says Orlando is offered to cut him in on this deal and uh, Weebay says I think you better talk to your uncle about that. Which eventually leads to Orlando being told by Avon, absolutely not. So then he goes and meets what turns out to be this undercover cop. This is how what ends up killing, or nearly killing Kima. Like yeah, that's Kima how, how Kima gets shot. So again, the restaurant scene is signifying this moment of change or transition or sort of an impending doom. Yeah, absolutely. Bodie and McNulty. Bodie and McNulty have lunch together in a little takeout spot and it is kind of a sad scene because they have had such a rocky relationship, McNulty and Bodie, over the course of four seasons at this point and they're getting to almost, they have a camaraderie or a mutual respect between each other and they sit down and have this little takeout lunch and it's right after that that Bodie gets shot. And Bodhi has this whole scene with McNulty where he talks about um, the, the game and how when he was, you know, into it, there were rules and respect and when, you know, when Avon was running it. But now that Marlo 
is running the show, um, these rules are out the door and it's somehow like a less civilized thing. Yeah, and Bodhi again is just like others that we've discussed in this episode is Bodhi is out of place now that the rules have changed a little bit. So we have this clip. Why don't we listen to Bodhi and McNulty talk in the restaurant shop? We still in the city? Silburn Arboretum. Pimlico's right up the hill. Nice. I ain't no snitch. Didn't say you were. Been doing this a long time. I ain't never said nothing to no cop. I've been out there since I was 13. I ain't never fucked up a count, never stole off a package, never did some shit that I wasn't told to do. I've been straight up. But what come back? Hmm? You think if I get jammed up on some shit, they'd be like, all right, yeah, Vody been there. Vody hang tough. We got his pay lawyer. We got a bell. They want me to stand with them, right? Where the fuck they at when they supposed to be standing by us? I mean, when shit goes bad and it's hell to pay, where they at? game is rigged, man. We like them little bitches on the chessboard. Pawns. Yo, I'm not snitching on none of my boys. Not my corner, and not no Barksdale people, or what's left of them. But Marlo, this nigga and his kind, man, they, they gotta fall. They gotta. Well, for that to happen, somebody's gotta step up. I do what I gotta. I don't give a fuck. Just don't ask me to live on my fucking knees, you know? You're a soldier, Bodie. Hell So that's a really significant scene, I think, in terms of basically Bodhi's ready to flip. And this really is a pivotal moment for McNulty as well. This is where it falls apart with Beatty. Yeah, this is where it falls apart with Beatty. And we've had this conversation in a previous episode. Once he realizes that Bodhi's been killed, that's when he thinks to himself, okay, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going to be a murder police. I'm going to work major cases. Yeah. But yeah, because what happens is, uh, you know, McNulty says, where's Bodie to Poot? He asks Poot and Poot tells him he got cat for snitching. Uh, so unless you want the same thing to happen to me, lock me up or let me go. Yeah. But I don't want to be seen talking to you. So exactly. McNulty really, I think, blames himself for Bodie's death in a way. Yeah, so that little takeout lunch that they eat together on that park was a huge, pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting uh, that, of course, the pawns and the chessboard are referenced in the scene, too, which bring us back to season one, where D'Angelo is teaching the when Bodhi is, like, basically a corner kid, essentially. Yeah. How to play chess. Speaking of corner kids, uh, Wallace, just before he gets killed by mm -hmm. Bodhi, incidentally has a bit of a little takeout dinner, doesn't he? Yeah, he, uh, and we see this really 
sort of beautiful side of Wallace, I guess you could say. Like, we know that they're taking care of all these sort of, like, they're not foster kids because they're not in the system, but they would be foster kids. Yeah, they're just kids at risk. They don't have much care at home. And so they're all sort of living together in this abandoned house. And Wallace brings Chinese takeout for all of these kids, and they're eating the egg rolls and, and that kind of thing. And then leading up to that, uh, or right after that, is when he's killed. Yeah, super sad. Really sad. So, I mean, I guess the way I see the significance of these moments of either food or restaurants or takeout is that I guess we should be nervous when we see this in the wire. Like, these are moments that start to signal something is about to go wrong or some sort of discomfort as these characters are facing inescapable circumstances. Right. And as you said, chewed up and spit out. Chewed up and spit out by the system. So, I mean, maybe that's that's why restaurants... That was something I was kind of thinking to myself, is why is it that it's restaurants and food that are these signifiers of trouble, but maybe that it's as simple as that. It's just the chewed up and spit out of society. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear from you now. What are some restaurant scenes that we missed? Thank you for all of the feedback in the last couple of days. We got some awesome emails, especially about the Breaking Bad versus The Wire episode. Um, so we love hearing from you. Please keep tweeting us. Please keep emailing us. You can get us at, at Rewired Podcast. Or email us podcast.rewired at gmail.com. And one thing that I think we should say is we did not talk about the huge number of restaurant scenes in season two. And the reason why is because we've talked about season two quite a bit. Yeah. And we know that all the restaurant scenes with the Greeks are kind of pivotal moments in and of themselves. But if you have thoughts on season two restaurant scenes, let us know what they are. Um, there's a lot going on with food in the wire and we have not covered it all. So we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Definitely. Uh, this podcast is written, hosted, and edited by Bailey Reed and Kelly Reed, and we use the Opinion app to do that. Thanks, so, Opinion. And you can catch our theme music on SoundCloud by Flo Florg. It's a remix of Tom Waits' Way Down in the Hole. Okay, we'll see you next week. Way Down in the Hole. <laughs>